So we've had this mini-series, three-week series called Home, and the reason we called it Home is because we want to talk about those issues that kind of we all deal with. Um, Two weeks ago, we talked about work and rest time management, right? Something we're all dealing with and some of us are struggling with. And last week, we talked about parenting that most of us deal with and some of us are struggling. Um, And this week, the third topic is finance, finance, okay? We all deal with it and some of us are struggling. But I would venture to guess that I know the answers to a couple questions I want to ask you right off the bat, so don't answer this. But if I were to ask you, um, would you like to hear about finances from God's word and are you struggling with it? I think many of you would say yes. Um, And if I say, do you want to talk about it in church? I think some of you would say no. (laughs) Not, Not necessarily from the pastor. Well, I'm going to be bluntly honest with you that um, if, do I believe that the Word of God has help for you in the area of finances? Absolutely. Do I like talking about it? No. No, I don't like talking about it. Um, I don't like talking about personal finances. And I also know we all come from different walks of life, and many of you are struggling, and many of you are more recently struggling, even because of COVID, you've lost your job, you're just... You're in a real tizzy, okay? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask some questions that I'm not looking for you to answer out loud. Like, I'm not looking for raised hands and for those of you online to respond online anyway. Feel free if you want to. Um, Just that you can sort of evaluate yourself, not as a good or bad evaluation, but just where are you in the area of finances and if you're struggling or not, okay? So I'm going to jump in with this. Um, For example, question. How many of you um, throw away automatically all the letters asking for money that you get in the mail all the time? And again, I'm not looking for you to answer out loud or to raise your hand just to sort of think about this. How many of you pause when you get to the checkout counter and when you're checking out your items, the, the gal actually says, would you like to donate a dollar? Right? How many of you... Um, spend all that you think you can need to first before you even think about saving and giving. Some of the struggles, I think, that we have just in where we are and where our finances are, okay? I looked up some uh, statistics from the U.S. Labor, uh, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, particularly about Middlesex County, and I know we all come from different counties, but the church is in Middlesex County, says the average salary here is $72,000 in Middlesex County in New Jersey. Um, These are current statistics. And that most families will spend 30% on housing, utility, furniture, and 20% on transportation. So that's 50% of it gone already. And then it says they'll usually divide five more categories that they'll spend 10% in in each of these five categories, food, insurance and pensions, clothes, healthcare and education, and entertainment and charitable giving. Now, as I've read through that list and those numbers, you might have said, yeah, that's about right. Or you might have said, well, wait a minute. I even make more than that, but I don't have a lot of that money for those 10% things that you're talking about. Something must be wrong. Well, um, I think we have to admit, first of all, that we live in a country that's probably one of the richest ever in history. It's not the richest ever, 
But one of the cultures, one of the countries that have been probably the richest ever. And I'm going to suggest that sometimes our problems fall into categories that are a result of the culture, our entire culture in this country that thinks this way. So you may not think this way, you may not have problems in this way, but this may hit home if I say this. And by the way, these are not all the reasons that people struggle with their money, okay? But I'll give you three, okay? First, we are consumers. Here in America, we are consumers. Secondly, sometimes we tend to blur the line between needs and wants. And thirdly, we believe that we actually own more than we make. Now, let me talk about those three in detail. Let me break them up a little bit. I said, first of all, that um, in America, we are consumers. You know, one-third of the advertising over the entire world happens in this country, right? Because even companies overseas know they're the ones that are going to buy. Let's advertise it for them. In fact, it's created for the consumer market over here. Let me continue with some of the questions. How many of you have a list when you go to the store, but then after you get to the store and to the checkout, you've actually bought more that's on your list? Don't answer that. <laughs> How many of you drive your car until you hit 200,000 miles before you even think about buying a new one? How many of you, when something goes bad or something starts to get old at home, automatically think of buying new rather than fixing old? Because this country, I think, has a consumer mentality. Secondly, we sometimes blend, uh, blur the line between needs and wants. I read that the average family could save $200 a month if they stopped eating out. $200 a month. What do you consider necessary in a home? You know, what's absolutely necessary in a home? How many bathrooms? You know, central air, cable, and Netflix, and Hulu, and, right? Like, what's necessary, actually, in your home? How many of you in your family, people in your family, have both a cell phone and a laptop? Do all the drivers in your family have their own car? Now, again, I'm not asking these to tell you you shouldn't do any of this stuff, right? I'm just asking this so you just sort of self-evaluate and think about where you are in your mentality because all those questions I just asked had to do what we consider our needs, not once. It's about housing. It's about food. It's about transportation. It's about communication, right? But sometimes we blur the line between needs and wants. And then the third one I said is, we believe we own more than we make. Here in America, we believe that we own more than we make. And what I mean by that is what is in our bank account doesn't tell us how much we have to spend. What we have to spend is what is in our bank account plus anything else that we can borrow. 60% of Americans I read spend all or more that they make in a year every year. I also read a poll that was just taken last year of 1,500 people, which said this. 65% of those 1,500 people said that they don't know how much they spent last month, but a third of them said they should have spent less. And here's what I'll actually ask you to answer. <laughs> 
So if you're online, you can kind of give, it's a true or false. So if you're online, you give me a thumbs up for true and a thumbs down for false. Those of you who are here, actually just raise your hand for true or false. So here's the statement. Americans carry $80 billion of credit card debt. It's not talking about mortgages. It's not talking about car loans. It's not talking about any of those things. Just credit card debt. Americans carry $80 billion of credit card debt. How many think that's true? How many think that's false? Well, it's false because the number is not 80 billion, it's 800 billion. 800 billion dollars of credit card debt. Okay? That's what I mean when I say we believe we actually own more than we make. We're willing to spend what we really don't have. So, Okay, those are some evaluation questions. And like all areas of life, Scripture has some words to these type of things, okay? They have some verses, they have some passages that could help us here. And I'm going to list with you now five principles that come from God's Word. And if you're struggling, this may help you when you're struggling. Um, If you're not struggling, it just may help you having a more healthy and godly uh, view of finances, okay? So here's principle number one. This is a basic foundational place that you start. Trust God with your finances. Trust God with your finances. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So everything we have should be down here and God should be up here. But it's interesting that when Jesus said these words in the Sermon on the Mount, that he referred to money. He means everything. Serve God only. But then he made sure, even including money, because he knows that's the one that keeps slipping up the ladder, right? That's the one we spend a little bit more time on. That's the one that we worry more. You can only serve one. Serve God and trust God with the other one, all right? I mean, even our money tells us that, by the way, doesn't it? In God we trust. It's printed right on the stuff, you know, that we collect and that we use for our spending. In God we trust, right? So you sort of have this compendium. You have this side and this side where this is maybe over-worrying and fretting and over-protecting some things. And believe me, there are lots of good reasons when it comes to finances to worry and to overprotect. I'm not saying that it's wrong as far as slipping in that direction. There are good reasons why we move that way, but he does ask us to trust, and the overprotecting and the fretting and the worrying is opposite of the trust. So how do you span this gap? How do you move away from this and more closely to this, which is what the verse is telling you? Well, the answer is simply faith. Now, if you thought I was going to put a nine-point plan in front of you, financially, how to go from here to here, it's not true. But the basic Answer is faith. You believe that God's big enough to trust with this part of your life. And you believe what he says in the word that even if we're not faithful, he remains faithful to us and we can trust him. We trust God with our finances. One of the greatest examples of scripture happens in Mark chapter 12 when Jesus is sitting in the synagogue in the temple and uh, he's watching people give the offering And he watches several people go up and give lots of money. And then he watches a woman go up and drop in two coins. 
And this is what he says. Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You think she was trusting God with her finances? This isn't here to tell you how much you should put in the offering plate. This is here to say, hey, this is what trust looks like, right? And Jesus noticed it in this woman. Trust God with your finances. Second principle is steward your finances. Steward your finances. Now, the word stewardship just means careful and responsible management. So I think everybody the world over would say, yeah, that's right. I want to be careful and responsible in the management of my finances. But for those who believe in God, who accept the word at face value, it means more than that. It means having the right attitude that I'm having careful and responsible management of something that actually doesn't belong to me, that this belongs to God, right? Let me read you a couple verses. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. That makes it clear. Who owns our finances? Yeah, but it says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It doesn't say anything about me. Well, that's why he said it again. The world and those who dwell therein, it all belongs to God. The people and the stuff, he owns them all. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You're a steward of God's grace. So this verse could mean anything, whether it's family that he gave you, the job that you gave you, a spiritual gift that he gave you, a passion to serve that you gave you, or finance that he gives you, you use them all knowing that this is God's gift that we simply steward when we're doing the right thing, okay? And of course, he told this parable, Jesus did, that many people know very well. It's actually called the parable of the talents, but it's about a rich man who leaves his area, and he gives all of his finances to three of his servants. One of them gets 10 talents, one of them gets five, one of them gets one, right? And many of you heard the story, the one who got 10 doubled it, the one who got five doubled it, and the one who got one was so afraid to lose it that he buried it in the sand, and when the master came back, he said, here it is, right? Doesn't sound like anything's wrong with that, except Jesus ends the power boy saying, you wicked servant, and he takes the one talent from him and gives it to the guy with 10. What's the point of that? We're not supposed to save and be careful? No, the point is, it's his. He is the one who will direct you on how to use it, but he doesn't give it to you to hoard, right? Gives it to you so that you will be his steward while it's in your hands. Now, I think the world likes to say, you know, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. But basically, I think this is saying, what's yours is yours, God, and what's mine is yours too. Steward your finances. Number three, put God's values before your values when spending. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, the Old Testament has verses about tithing and New Testament has verses about generosity. But this kind of spans them both because it talks about your spending. Not just about your saving, but even your spending 
Keep God in view. Pray to him. Ask his opinion. He'll give you the direction as you seek him, right? I had a guy actually come up to me, and this happened lately, um, where he basically said, hey, I love what you're doing here at PAC, so here's a check made out to PAC for $50,000 to do it more. And I was like, you know, first I tried to think of something to say, and all that came out was thank you, you know. But I mean, basically, it's not because I sold him everything. It wasn't a sales pitch. I never even asked for anything. He just walked up and did this, right? Why? Because his heart was for storing up treasures in heaven rather than storing up treasures in earth. Now, I'm not saying, well, you'll have to go home and write a check to PAC. That's not what this is about, because this guy, I'm sure, went home and probably spent easily more than 50000 on his own family, taking a vacation, buying a new car if they needed whatever. It's not that he didn't spend on his own things, but his heart was in the right place, and this was the first place that his heart went to. And I, I wonder if any of us, when we put our budget together, budget with this in mind, Right? that we put God's values, but we usually think of our fixed expenses. I got to pick mortgage and utilities and food and, that, and then our discretionary expenses, right? And then our giving last. But even from the Old Testament and tithing, it talks about putting God's value first, first, right? When you decide what you're going to do with the money. And this one is a verse that has a reason attached to it because if you act like this, if you really believe this, then your heart will be where your treasure is, right? And they sort of work with each other. If you say, yeah, that's what I want to be, and you start spending that way, and then you, feel, then you find out it works because God's in it, and then that even more puts your heart in the right place, and you think about it more when you spend, and it keeps just going in the right direction, right? Principle number four, understand Scripture's view of debt. Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. And I'm not talking about the righteous part of it, but just the first part of that. Those who are wicked are those who take loans but don't pay them back, okay? So God wants you to pay all your loans that you have, right? Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. That's pretty strong language. You become a slave to the lender when you borrow, right? And I know we've all felt that somewhere in our lives sometime, right? Where we have this debt and it bothers us and we know we have to clear this debt out. And all of a sudden it goes back to the first principle, trusting God, and you're trying to serve God and not mammon. But to a certain point, you're serving this debt because that's on your mind and that's where your focus is, right? And that's what it's telling you to be careful of. I like Romans 13, 7 and 8. It says this. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. I like this. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. And then, of course, this line. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything. And some versions say, leave no debt outstanding, right? Now, Remember, I'm a pastor talking about the word of God. I'm not a finance guy. There's a difference between good debt and bad debt, things like mortgages and credit card, okay? I'm not trying to talk about that, and I'm certainly not telling you, well, I just can't go buy a house, the pastor said, until I can pay all up front in cash, right? 
But I think it's pretty clear that God is telling you to be careful, be very careful about debt and be very sincere about paying it off. Now, I know this is one where people struggle and lots of people struggle. Don't struggle alone. You don't have to. In fact, contact us. Send us an email at groups at princetonalliance.org. Groups at princetonalliance.org. The reason it's uh, the, the head part is groups is because we have this, a really good personal and practical class. And if enough of you show interest in responding to that email, we'll set that class up for you right, right, right away. And if only a couple do, we'll still find help for you, okay, if you're struggling with this. But understand Scripture's view of debt. And then lastly, be generous. We say that all the time. So that shouldn't be new to you, whether joining us online or in here in person. I say that all the time. Be generous. It's a New Testament principle. But generosity is more than just about money, okay? Generosity is an attitude of the heart about everything, about who you are. Let me read this passage from Romans chapter 12. I'm going to start at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let me pause there in the middle of this passage and just say, all this is about how we should treat each other at Prince Alliance Church. This is talking about believers treating other believers, right? This is how we should be generous with ourselves, right? But what about those outside the church? What about those who don't believe? What about those who don't like us, right? Well, the rest of this passage deals with how we're supposed to be toward them. So let me pick up where I left off. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So there's this whole generosity attitude that should affect every part of our lives, right? That's what the New Testament is all about. But it also applies to our giving. And when it applies to our giving, it tells us that God noticed that. Luke chapter 6. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God is saying, hey, I'm generous to you. Be generous in the same way. And this is just like the Roman passage, except it actually ends with the idea of giving, of giving generously. And it says, God is going to take care of you, right? This is not about the prosperity. If I give, I'm going to get 10 times more back, right? But it is about a system that God uses that's saying, hey, be generous. I'm generous to you. All right, 
Let me bring this to conclusion. I want to do that by actually reading from Scripture an example of a group of people who I think fulfilled all five of these principles. It comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and this is what it says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So that's the people, the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this... Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So what were my five principles? The first one was trust God with your finances. Well, they obviously trusted God with their finances because they gave beyond their means. So they were trusting God for their everyday living, right? Steward your finances. It's interesting because Paul says they gave themselves first to God realizing God was the Lord, God was the owner, and then they thought about everything else. Three, put God's values before your values when spending. Well, obviously, if you give beyond your ability to give, you're obviously thinking about God's values and not your own values. Fourthly, understand Scripture's view of debt. They literally owed no one to anything except love and loving one another. And then the fifth one was be generous. And the word is even used in the passage. Of course, they were generous. All right. So next steps. Let me leave you with four takeaways. And maybe you want to take away all four. Maybe you don't want to have anything to do with any of them. Maybe you want to just focus on one, right? But here's the four takeaways. First of all, I want to build on last week's message. When Pastor Jen talked about parenting, she said, the number one way you're going to get this right is spending more time with Jesus. Well, the same thing with finances. Spend significant time with Jesus about this, right? Spend some time with him. Tell him your needs. Tell him your worries. Ask him if he's going to help. Tell him about your financial plan. Ask him if he has a different plan. Show him where do you go next. Just spend significant time with Jesus about these things. Secondly, I'll say what I said before. Please contact groups at princealliance.org if you need help because we can set up a class for you, okay? Thirdly, put Matthew 6, 19 to 24 somewhere where you can see it often. In the beginning, Matthew, I referred to all this passage um, because in the beginning it says you can't serve God in mammon. And in the end of this passage is where it says lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth. So take that whole passage, write it out, and put it on maybe your home office where you pay bills. Or maybe it's in the bathroom mirror. Or maybe it's in your car. Somewhere where you can see it often. And then fourthly, pick the hardest principle that, for you to accept. And ask God to make you able in that area. Okay? So four takeaways. Was that too painful? I hope it's helpful. I hope it's helpful because all of it challenges all of us. Um, The messenger is never as good as the message. I'm trying to live up to this as well. So let me pray for all of us as we try to figure this out together and honor God with our finances. Let me pray. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace in taking care of our needs. You sent Jesus to die for our sins and to rise again so that we know that you have power over all things. We can trust you with everything. But you also give us specific guidance when it comes to our finances. And many of these verses were the direct words of Jesus before he went to that cross. So, Lord, help us to kind of sift through this and think through this and help us, Lord. Because we don't want to be worriers and fretters and overprotecting something. We want to have everything in your, hold everything loosely because it belongs to you. But we also, we want to be good managers. We want to be good stewards. And we need your help in that. And we do have needs. And we have your desires. And Father, we know if anyone has the wisdom to help us individually, it's the Holy Spirit. And so I pray because... Among those people who heard this message today, there's the whole scattered of, of attitudes and positions they find themselves in to really, really struggling to just doing, doing very well. But in any position we find ourselves, we can always learn from your word and hear from your spirit. And that's what I ask. I ask for peace for those who need it so desperately. I ask for answers and help. I ask for direction for all of us, not just as individuals, but even as a church, that we as a church will look at our finances and steward them as they are yours and not us. But Father, make our homes places where whether we're talking about work and rest harmony, whether we're talking about parenting, whether we're talking about finance, it's all glorifying to you. Because eventually, that's the life we want to live, and that's the life that will not only be best for us, but attract others into your kingdom. And may that be the final outcome, and you receive all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.